When you have a goal, your actions have to lead you to that goal. Your actions have to be consistent with reaching that goal. If you're a Christ follower, you can't have things going on in your life that are inconsistent, inconsistent with being successful as a Christ follower. As we dive back into the book of Acts, we'll see all kinds of familiar and important things happen as Paul is faithful to follow the Lord and some of the consequences when we don't. We'll be encouraged and challenged today, so turn to Acts chapter 19, and here's Pastor David. And so let's get into it. We're going to begin with the first part of the first verse of Acts 19. It says, It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Now, if you'll remember from chapter 18, we had just met Apollos. He had been trained in Ephesus by Priscilla and Aquila. He was preaching the word, but he didn't know it fully. So Priscilla and Aquila had sort of discipled and trained him. And then he actually went to Corinth, where Paul and Priscilla and Aquila had been before they came to Ephesus last time. Don't get confused here. But that's, that's where they were. He went there, and now Paul has shown up in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a huge city a major, major city in the Roman world. It's the capital. It's the seat of government in the Roman province of Asia. Very wealthy uh, city, very big city, about a quarter million people or so. This was the home of the Temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, this was a center for idol worship, for magical, like occultist practices. That was huge. It was a huge part of the culture in this area. And last time, last chapter, we actually saw Paul in Ephesus for a short time. And I'll remind you of that before we move into this passage. It was, it was in chapter 18, verses 19 through 21. It says, And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. So we had Paul, a little different than normal, where he goes into a synagogue and they're actually like, yeah, hang out, stay with us for a while. And he left. Usually he comes in, they say, get out of here, and he has to leave. This time they actually want him to stay, but he still left, right? And he said, I'll come back. And so that's what we have here. He's come back to Ephesus, to these people who were at least at the time willing to listen to what he wanted to teach, what he wanted to preach, okay? So uh, we have, they have not rejected Paul in the synagogue yet. Let's see what he does. We come through the rest of that verse and through verse 4. It says, and finding some disciples... He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So we have these disciples, okay? These are, they're called disciples. They're not called disciples of John. These are disciples of Jesus. They just don't know anything about him. All they know is that he was going to be coming. These maybe have been people who were taught by disciples of John the Baptist. Remember, John was one looking forward to Jesus. John was preaching and doing a baptism. He's baptizing in the Jordan, baptizing repentance to prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's what John was doing. And so some of his disciples may have gone out far and wide, may have, may have met these people in Ephesus. They've taught them that Jesus was coming, but they actually don't know anything about the fact that Jesus did come had his ministry, died for our sins, was risen from the dead, and that the Holy Spirit had come at Pentecost. They know none of this. 
None of these things. So these disciples are sort of stumbling around in the dark. And so Paul is going to explain this to them, what happened. Let's read verses 5 through 7. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So Paul explains it to them. Their immediate reaction to hearing about Jesus is, that's really good news, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit, that the church has been going for all these years in the power of the Holy Spirit. Immediately they get baptized. We have the sign of the, uh, that the Holy Spirit was present and that they were prophesying, they were speaking in tongues, and this was, an, this was an opportunity for them to become fully in Christ. For you all, when you come to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Since Pentecost, that's the way it's been. These guys didn't have that yet because they didn't really know who Christ was and what he had done. Now they do. Now these disciples are fully Christians, fully walking with the Lord, fully following him. And there was about 12 of them. So this is the first thing that Paul does that we read about here in Ephesus. Next, verses 8 through 10. It says, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul goes back to the synagogue. Remember, they had said, come on back and talk to us. We want to hear more. So for three months, they heard him. Three months, he's teaching. He's persuading. He's in there. He's teaching the word. And people, assumedly, are coming to know the Lord. But there are some, as we've seen basically everywhere else Paul has been, almost everywhere else, there are some who don't like it, who harden themselves, who stop listening. And they don't just stop listening. They start causing trouble. Paul recognizes this is going to be an issue, and so he leaves. But he doesn't just leave. He takes the disciples with him. So Paul and all the believers, all the Christ followers, exit the synagogue, and he goes to a place called the School of Tyrannus, the School of Tyrannus. Now, we don't know exactly where that was. We know it was in Ephesus, and we don't know everything about the circumstances, but there, there are some who say essentially what Paul did here was he rented out a school, rented out room in a school to teach. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. We're still doing that to this day. So we're, you know, just be, we're just like Paul, right? This is not the school of Tyrannus, but it's a school. And that's what he did. He used what he had so he could teach. And he taught every single day. Paul's teaching every single day. He's teaching, and those people are learning, and those people are talking, and it's going out and out. And this entire province of Asia ends up hearing the gospel as a result of these couple of years of Paul preaching the word, ministering in that city. Now, this is an amazing thing, in my opinion, that it could reach so far right. No internet, right? Nothing like that. No mass communication ability. One guy in a school building every day preaching the word, and it is spread so far and wide that the entire province of Asia is able to hear the gospel through what Paul did faithfully. Not just Paul, but all the believers that were there faithfully day after day after day after day after day. It didn't happen in one day. It didn't happen in two days. It says he was there for two years. In the same way, as believers, as a church, we have to do that every single day. Faithful, faithful, faithful. And we will see the results. God is not going to let his word be squashed. It's going to go out. If you're faithful, he's going to be faithful to use you and your ministry as you do this. And we'll see an amazing thing like we see here happen here. Because believe it or not, even though we live in a nation where there's a lot of cultural Christianity, there are a whole lot of people who know nothing about Jesus 
who know nothing about the Holy Spirit, who know nothing about Christianity, who know nothing about what it means to follow Christ, except maybe what they hear on the news or something like that. And so we had the same obligation that he had to teach effectively, to love effectively, and to do it every single day. It's that daily work, that daily work over a period of years that God used to spread the gospel far and wide. Okay, so let's go to the next part. We see uh, verse 11 and 12. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then, so, oh, let's stop there because that, that's what I actually want to talk about. This is weird. This is, this is a strange thing. These people are taking handkerchiefs which are basically probably like the sweat rags that Paul's using as he's, he, remember he's a tent maker, he's working, he's going to wear like an apron because he's a, he's a workman, he's working with leather tents and so on, he's wiping the sweat off his face, he's putting this stuff down, and someone's grabbing that and going and taking it to their relative or whatever, and the person's getting healed. This is a uh, very strange thing that we see only here, only here, and so let's talk for a second about descriptive and prescriptive. We've talked many times about this. Some things in Acts are descriptive. This is what happened. Some things in Acts are prescriptive. This is what you ought to do. In this case, there's a very important word that's used, unusual. These were unusual miracles, okay? They're not normal. God worked in this way at that time in the city of Ephesus for some reason we don't know. We don't know why. We know they were uh, superstitious. We know that there were issues like that. We don't know exactly why, but we know what God was doing ultimately is he was showing that the power of Christ in this place was stronger than all this other stuff, all these other little superstitions that they had. But it was not Paul's sweat that was healing anybody, just so we're clear. They didn't take the handkerchief, and the handkerchief was, it was this is not magic or something. It says it was the power of God that God worked these miracles, okay? It was the, probably God working through the faith of those who believed on the name of Jesus, and the, the, the handkerchiefs and stuff were just a part of what was happening there, okay? They weren't magic. They weren't anything like that. Please do not take this as prescriptive and go fetch one of the elders of this church's Kleenex out of the trash can and take it to your sick aunt, okay? It's not going to work. Okay, it's just, you're just going to look weird, okay? We're, this is not the way that things work for us now. We have one instance of this that went on at this time, but what it did do is it showed the power of the kingdom of God was coming to force in Ephesus as all these people were coming to know him. All right, 1913. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Okay, so there's some guys, they go around, their job is basically casting evil spirits out. That's their job. And they are basically saying, we can see that Paul and, the, and Jesus, who is preaching these Christians, that, that, that there's power there, that they're able to do this thing. And so we're just going to sort of use that name and see if it can be effective for us. Well, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. It says... Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. It did not work out well for these guys, right? Because they come in and they say, oh, this, this Jesus who Paul preaches and this evil spirit's like, you don't know Jesus. I know who Jesus is. I'm afraid of him. 
And Paul, his servant, I'm afraid of him. But I'm not afraid of you. I can see that you have nothing to do with him. And so they got a beat down. They got a beat down and they left. And this was so, such a huge story that went around all over Ephesus, all over the city, that people said, whoa, Jesus does have power. And they learned not to name drop Jesus when you have no relationship with Jesus because that did not work out well for them. When they tried to just use Jesus like he was some sort of a spell or something, they tried to use the power of his name, but they didn't know him. Even the evil spirit knew that they didn't know him, right? That they didn't have the Holy Spirit, that they weren't working in that. And so the evil spirit wasn't afraid. And they got a beat down. Let's see what it did to the church, though. This is very interesting. 18 through 20. It says, And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Who were the people who were coming confessing? The believers. The believers were coming and confessing. This actually wasn't people from outside came in and confessing. The believers came in confessing. The believers were the ones who had these magic books They were the ones who were still wrapped up. I told you that the city culturally was very caught up in these like occultic and magic practices and things like that. And these believers had come to the Lord, but they had not gotten rid of these cultural things, these things from before they knew the Lord that they had been dealing with for a long time, and they still had them. They they were hanging on to them. They wouldn't let them go. This incident here where they saw the power of Jesus fully was a turning point for them where they knew that there was no way for them to continue to hold on to those things from their culture, those things from their past that they were keeping. Now, 50,000 pieces of silver, let me give you an idea here, okay? We don't know exactly when he says pieces. The the translation does not make it perfectly clear what the size of this was. It's very possible it was a daily wage. A daily wage would be a piece of silver, in which case we're talking about millions of dollars. It's possible it was somewhat less, but either way, you're talking thousands and thousands of dollars, possibly several million dollars. Now, that tells you a couple of things. First of all, it tells you how serious and how ingrained into this stuff into these magic books, into these, remember the temples all over the place and all this other idol worship. It shows you how ingrained it was in the lives of the culture that even the believers were still holding on to this much stuff. It also shows you that when they gave it up, that there was a cost to their sacrifice to follow Jesus and, and bring their lifestyle into consistency with what it means to follow Christ. It says both of those things, okay? The power of God had been shown to them, and they recognized they could not continue to do these things. And what was the result? What did it say? What does it say? The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The Ephesians had to get real. They had to get real. They had come to know the Lord, but they had hung on to a lot of stuff. And the thing that's interesting is that it says they came confessing and telling of their deeds. What does that mean? It means that no one knew what their deeds were. It means they were secret. These weren't the things that they were doing outrightly in front of everybody. These were the things that were happening secretly. And they had to come out and bring them into the light. And, they, and, and the cost was enormous, as you can see, financially. And yet when it was done, the ministry flourished. Now, there are a couple things that I want to talk about today that are connected to the passages that we just read. Um, and they have a lot to do with this last part of what we just read. Um, the Ephesian believers had to learn something important about serving the Lord in obedience. They had to learn something important. They had to get to the point where they were willing to put away the things that they had held onto 
from their culture and from their former lifestyle that were inconsistent with living as a Christ follower. The things that were inconsistent with living as a Christ follower. I used to play softball. Um, I, I went to a church. I was a member of a church um, and I, in Tennessee, and I played softball with them. And I, and I really wanted to be a good softball player because it was fun. I enjoyed it. We'd take our families out to the park and, and, and have a great time. We'd play against other people um, from the community and so on. And, and I loved doing it, and I wanted to be really good at it. But there was another thing that I also wanted. I also really like to eat and to not exercise. And eating too much and not exercising meant that I couldn't be that good of a softball player because the two things were inconsistent with one another. There's all kinds of things, right? I wanted to be a good, I wanted to be a good student when I was a student, a good husband, a good father, all these things. But at, at different times or at different points, I've had other things in my lifestyle or other things that were going on that were inconsistent with me being good at those things or being successful at those things. Right? When you have a goal, your actions have to lead you to that goal. Your actions have to be consistent with reaching that goal. If you're a Christ follower, you can't have things going on in your life that are inconsistent, inconsistent with being successful as a Christ follower. The Ephesians did. They had something in the way between them and God, between really falling, between really maturing, between really growing. They had all this secret sin. Now, all of us are going to have to make choices about our lifestyles in lots of areas. But if we want to grow in the Lord, if we want to have maturity, we cannot hold on to the secret things that are inconsistent with growing in the Lord. We cannot hold on to those. We cannot have sin in our lives, and we cannot have sin in the camp. Now, there's a story, if you, if you want to read it for yourself, um, in Joshua 7. And basically what happened is the Lord had defeated Jericho for the Israelites, but he had said, don't don't take any of these accursed things that are there. Don't do it. Do not do it. It'll bring, it'll bring sin into your camp if you do that. And some guy, of course, some guy goes in. He sees some stuff that he likes. He takes it. He hides it. It's in secret. Then Joshua sends some guys out to go defeat this small town, and they get whooped. And Joshua's going, what happened? What happened? And God's like, you have sin in the camp. Somebody did something they weren't supposed to do, and they brought sin into your camp. And so you're not going to thrive while you have sin in the camp. We have an issue for ourselves individually, in our own homes, and in the church that we need to make sure we don't have sin in the camp, whether it's in our own personal walk with the Lord, whether it's in our home, or whether it's in the church. All of those things need to go. We're about to move locations, right? We're about to go do something new. This is a great time for us to self-assess to look at our hearts and see whether there are hidden things there. To see whether there are secret things there. What's going on when no one else is looking? Are there still things that we're holding on to? Things we don't want to let go of? And I think the Lord wants to work on us today, this morning, about that. He wants us to ask ourselves, what's going on? Are there sins? Are there secret sins? Are there things that we don't tell anybody else about? Because if we want the ministry to flourish, if we want to be mature, we can't be a church full of secret sins. Beyond the obvious hypocrisy of such a thing, the Lord wants to work through us and we can't have things separating us from him. We're supposed to be a holy people set apart so that we can serve our community. The Ephesians realized this. They confessed their secret sins. They burned their evil books and the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. I want the, the word of the Lord to grow mightily and prevail here 
in Camas, in Vancouver, in this area. I want that to happen. And I know I've got a, I've got a, a blueprint for it right here. We've got to look at what's going on. We've got to give up those things. Those things that maybe we've been holding on to that maybe we ignore the Lord when he talks to us about. Whatever they are, we've got to give it up. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to confess it. We've got to repent. We've got to be redeemed. We've got to be redeemed. It's time for us to be obedient. Every one of us, me and you, all of us to be obedient, to be searching our hearts. God wants to forgive and redeem. I'm not telling you this so you feel all guilty. That's not the point. I'm telling you this because I know the joy and the beauty of forgiveness in the Lord. 1 John um, 5, 1, 5 through 10 says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Listen, if you're feeling somewhat uncomfortable right now, that's good. Let the Lord work in you to bring to your mind and your heart those things that it's time to get rid of and to let go of. These people and their, their, you know, things that they had hidden— they were a deep part of their culture. They were something that they had grown up with. They were something they had known all their life. That's the way things went. When they came to the Lord, they didn't just automatically lose those things. But eventually, the Lord called them to be serious, to take that next step and to put that stuff away, to put that nonsense away, and to confess and to be forgiven. Listen, as we move forward and we drop the baggage of any secret sin that's in our lives, It is a beautiful and a wonderful thing to confess, to repent, and to be forgiven. I'm just going to read you Psalm 32. I'm going to read you the whole psalm because it's beautiful. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, when it was secret... My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. We don't want to be that. We don't want to be the only way that we ever turn from anything, the only way that we ever grow, the only way that we ever mature is that the Lord has to yank us around like an animal with a bit and a bridle. That's not who you want to be. You want to come to him willingly, confessing, coming near to him without him having to go through the process of chasing you to get you there. Now, I've been on both sides of that. I can tell you the one where I come near by myself is much more comfortable than the bit and bridle style, Okay. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart.
We need to be serious. Right now, we need to be serious about our sin. We need to clean the camp in our hearts, in our minds, in our homes, and in Christ's church. I'm sure if we all look hard enough, we too can find things in our lives that are getting in the way and keeping us from fully following the Lord. And for most of us, we probably don't have to look very hard at all. What a blessing to know that as we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you'd like some of that in your life, call us at 360-885-9000. Or better yet, come see us at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Get all the info you need anytime at axechurchnw.org. Well, that's all our time for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out our next episode here on Contemplate. Contemplate.